The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are nearing the end of a series that, that we've been in for a few weeks now. We're in the last two weeks, and, and in this series, it's been called uh, How to Pick a Fight. I think we've got a graphic for it. And, and, and for this series, we've been uh, exploring these, these men and women in Scripture who picked a fight at the right time, at the right place, and, and stood up for something uh, when they needed to. And so we spent the first few weeks... Uh, looking at people in the Old Testament. And so we've looked at, at Moses and Noah, and last week we looked at Esther. Uh, but this week we're going we're gonna to make a shift, and we're going to go to the, the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, and we're going to look at uh, the story of a man named Saul, who, when he's converted, becomes Paul, and actually ends up writing much of the New Testament. And we're going to look at his story and the fight that he picks to change his life. And, and our text is, is this, this pivotal moment in his life where everything changes. Um, so let me just get us all on the same page here. So Saul, by the way, so I was like going through this message, and uh, Saul's name gets changed to Paul. And so pre-conversion Saul is Saul, post-conversion is Paul. And so when I'm doing this message, I'm just going to interchange the two of them because it's really hard to figure out when I'm talking about them, okay? So just know it's the same guy. You with me? All right, same guy. Saul, Paul, same dude. All right, so Saul, uh, when the early church gets started, Christianity is getting up and running. The church is going, Saul hates the church. And why does he hate it? He goes around actively persecuting it. He hates it because he's a religious extremist. And anyone who doesn't share his worldview, anyone who doesn't look at the world the way he does, is a threat to him, and he's got to put an end to it. And so we see in Acts chapter 7 that, that when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death, uh, Saul becomes the, the equipment manager for the guys throwing the rocks. He says, hey, you guys, those coats are getting in the way of you throwing well, so let me, let me take those coats for you. And so he holds on to everybody's coats while they, they kill the first Christian martyr. And then we see by chapter 8, verse 3, Saul actually begins to lead the charge in persecuting the church in Jerusalem. It says in Acts 8.3, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then we get to our text today in Acts chapter 9, and we see in the first few verses of that text that, that Saul is still persecuting the church, and in fact, he's extending his mission. He said, it's not enough for me to come after the Christians living in Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to go after the Christians living all the way in Damascus, in modern-day Syria. And so he gets permission to go and arrest any Christians he finds there. But on his way there, he has an encounter with Jesus. He has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, and that changes absolutely everything for him. For our purposes this morning, we're going to look at three things that it changes for him, and three things that an encounter with the resurrected Jesus would change for you. It changes, first of all, how he relates to the church. It changes how you relate to the church changes how you relate to those outside the church. And thirdly, it changes your legacy. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus changes how you relate to the church, how you relate to those outside the church, and it changes your legacy. And so let's get going. Jesus changes how you relate to the church. Look with me at verses 3 through 6 here. It says this, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. All right, so Saul is on his way to Damascus to violently take Christians out of their homes, separate them from their families, throw them into prison where they will more than likely die. He's on his way to do that. Saul hates the church. He hates the church. Now, you may be kind of tired this morning, and, and you may not love my sermons, or you may have been begrudgingly dragged here by someone else, okay? But Saul's got you beat, okay? Like, he hates church more than any of us, okay? Hates the church. But then he encounters the risen Jesus, and everything changes for him. Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Nope, somebody says, can we get the verse up there? Why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting my followers? No, it doesn't say that. What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus identifies with his church. And see, this obviously changes Paul's relationship to the church. He goes from seeking to destroy it to becoming its first and greatest missionary in its history. And not only that, consistently through Paul's writings, his favorite image to describe the church is the body of Christ. Right? And I love that. I love that about Paul. It's like he could never get over this moment. It's like he could never get over this moment when he met Jesus and Jesus identified so closely with his people. And he wanted everyone to experience that. He wanted everyone to know that they were connected with their Savior, that they were connected with their Lord. He wanted everyone to know that the church is the body of Christ. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus changes how you view the church. And so I just want to ask you, how do you view the church? Do you see it as as united to Jesus, as united to your Lord and Savior? And see, I ask that question because we live in a radically individualistic culture. Where for the the first time ever in in Christian history, in the history of the world, people will, will be Christians. It's so common for people to be Christians and not be connected in any real sense to a church. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I have nothing to do with his people. And that's actually a real problem. That's a real problem. Why? Because right here, Jesus identifies pretty closely with his church. A couple years ago, I read a book about what emerging generations thought about Jesus and the church. And, uh, and the title of the book was, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Can you guess what the conclusion was? Uh, <laughs> Right? And, and, uh, and, and I get it, right? Like, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that people who are a part of the church do that I don't like. But listen, according to Jesus here, we can't just separate him from the church. We can't do that. He's telling Saul, listen, you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. And while I don't think anyone here is persecuting the church, Jesus may say to you today, in a culture of ours that likes to downplay the church, Jesus may instead say to you, hey, you love me? Love my people. You want to follow me? Follow me with my people. You're committed to me? Commit to my people. See, a Christian not connected to the church in any real capacity is inconsistent 
with one who trusts in Jesus. With one who actually encounters the risen Christ. And so let me just say, like, do you get, this is why today you're going to sign up for a small group, okay? Just so you know, you are, okay? This is why you're doing that. Because the church matters. This is why we, we do something like a new members class, because committing to a local body on mission together matters. And now, before I get the email tomorrow morning, I'm not saying if you don't join a small group or don't go to a new member class, you're not a Christian, okay? I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is this. Jesus identifies with his church. So when you actually encounter the resurrected Jesus, you're going to want to be with his people. It goes together. Second change we see in Saul's story is that after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, it changes how you view those not only inside the church, but those outside the church. Right? After Saul encounters Jesus, he's blind. He's instructed to go to Damascus and wait for instructions. He waits there for three days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He just sits in the city and prays. He can't see anything. He's blind. Meanwhile, Jesus is busy at work, and he goes to this guy named Ananias, and he says, hey, Ananias, you know Saul, the, the guy who's persecuting all the Christians, throwing them in prison, that sort of thing? Yeah, he's in your city right now. He's blind. I want you to go to him, lay hands on him, pray so that he can see. Verse 13, Ananias responds. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Jesus says, Ananias, go to this guy who's blind. And Ananias says, uh, hmm. Jesus, let's just think about this. Like, like do you know who he is? Like, I, I can't go to him. He'll kill me. But Jesus says, trust me. All right? This guy's my chosen instrument. I've got big plans for him. And so we learn two things about how we in the church relate to those outside the church in this moment. The first thing we learn is this. No one is beyond God's grace. I'm going to say that again. No one is beyond God's grace. Right? Saul was a religious extremist who sought to eliminate those who didn't share his worldview. He's the first century equivalent of a member of ISIS. And he encounters the grace of God and everything changes for him. No one's beyond God's grace. And I say that for two groups of people that I know are here this morning because they're here every Sunday. The first group is a group of people who think they are beyond God's grace. That their past, their sin, the thing they're struggling with right now, the doubt they have, whatever it is, it's too big, it's too much, and God couldn't possibly love them. He couldn't possibly accept them. Listen to me. No one is beyond God's grace. You're not beyond God's grace. Okay? Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross. So stop paying the price. He took care of it. Trust in him. Rest in his grace. Second group of people who need to know that no one is beyond God's grace 
are those who, who have people in their life that you've been reaching out to and, and you've been trying to share the gospel with and you've been praying for and you've been loving them just right where they're at but their hearts just seem so hard and nothing seems to change and it looks like no fruit is happening and, and God is just not there, not working in their lives in any way, shape, or form. No one's beyond God's grace. In his time, in his providence, no one's beyond God's grace. You just be faithful where he's called you and let the Spirit do his thing. First thing we learn about those outside the church, no one's beyond God's grace. Second thing we learn, those outside the church are not the enemy. They aren't the enemy. See, when Jesus talks to Ananias, he says, hey, go to Saul. And Ananias could have said, no way, man. Saul, he's been arresting my friends. He killed my boy Stephen. Like, I'll go to Saul, but only to punch him in the face, right? He's blind. He's not going to be able to fight back, Right? That's what Ananias could have said. But he doesn't. He asks for clarification. And then verse 17, it says this. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So after Ananias has talked to Jesus, talked to the resurrected Jesus, he can't view Paul simply as an enemy. Doesn't, that category doesn't exist for him anymore. But instead, he views him as someone with whom he can share God's grace with. He sees him as someone who he can share the gospel with. And see, I know as soon as I say that, some people get very nervous. Their flags go up, right? Like, hey, this is, this is my whole problem with Christianity. Or maybe this is your friend's problem with Christianity. Like, Listen, it's a fine religion and everything. You want to love God, love people. That's a great thing to do. But why do you, why you guys got to try and convert everybody? Why do Christians want everyone to believe what they believe? Right? Does anyone run into this? No? Okay, very good. The back row. My goodness, what's going on with you guys? All right. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. Why, why is that? Well, let me see if I can resolve that concern for those of you that maybe have it. Uh, so I think it's good to... Uh, explore other ideas, explore worldviews that are different than mine, uh, listen to people who don't view things the way that I do. And so uh, I, I try to read books by people who, who look at the world differently. I, I listen to talks. And, and one of the things I listened to recently was a, a debate uh, between new atheism and new religion. New atheism and new religion. And, and the, the guy for new atheism was a guy named Lawrence Krauss. He's a, a scientist, atheist, and, and he was debating against a guy named Peter Rollins, who's a philosopher, post-structural existentialist, has sort of loose ties to Christianity, but really just sort of has this relativistic approach to religion and is just kind of kumbaya. And, and so it's, it's these two guys going at it. Now, I'm the pastor of a, of a, a Christian church that, that upholds the Bible as, as the revelation of God to the world. That's, that's what I believe. That's what we believe. And, and so I've got no dog in the fight with these two guys, right? Like I'm just listening to it. Be like, oh, see who wins. Should be interesting. And, and so they go at it. And as I'm listening to them sort of pontificate their two different views, uh, I was struck by something. They actually agreed on a point. In the midst of a debate, they agreed on a point, And this is what they agreed on. Neither one of them had a problem with religious conviction as long as it was kept in the private sphere, right? Brought it out to the public. That's not right. And especially, they both had issue, is if you tried to convert people to believe what you believed. And in the words of Lawrence Krauss, he said this. This is the problem. We, we don't need to be trying to convert other people to, to believe what we, 
we believe we need to, is what he says, spend our time dealing with reality as it actually is and not waste our time wondering about some God floating in the sky. Now, right after I heard my buddy Lawrence say that, I thought, all right, well, what would I do if, if I were, you know, talking with, with Lawrence? What would I say to him? Here's what I'd say. Lawrence, you're right. You're right. Let's just talk about reality. Let's just talk about reality. But, but then I say, but Lawrence, here's the deal. I see Jesus as 100% part of reality. That, that as I observe what's going on in the world, who he is, what he taught, what he said, how he said the world works, fits my view of reality. I said, when I, when I think of love, I, sorry, brother, I can't just say it's just a chemical reaction. Like, is that what you tell your wife? How does that go? Right? Or when I think about, like, meaning in this world, I think it's got to be bigger than just my own making. So, Lawrence, I agree, man. Let's talk about reality, but whose reality? So, here's my point. Everybody has a mission. There, there, there isn't some neutral territory out there. We're all trying to sell something. Lawrence is trying to sell a 21st century Western post-enlightenment worldview. We're all trying to sell something. There's no neutral. And so if as a Christian, if what I believe I think is the greatest news in the world, and if I think it could help you, if I think it could save you, if I think it could change your life and bring you into ultimate reality, it would be cruel for me not to share that with you. It would be cruel for me not to want that for you. Because no one's beyond God's grace. No one's beyond God's grace. And the person outside the church is not my enemy. They're not my enemy. They're, they're a place where God can send me to bring the good news of Jesus. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus changes your relationship to the church, changes your relationship to those outside the church, and finally, it changes your legacy. So Ananias, in our story, he speaks words of truth to Saul. Saul comes to faith in Jesus, and he's, he's baptized, and, and he believes, and then he gets to work. Look with me at verses 20 through 22. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now we see up to this point in his story, Saul has built his life, he's built his purpose, he's built his identity on his people group. Everything about him, everything that matters in his life is based on the fact that he's part of the Jewish people. And so that's why when that came into question, when that started to shift, he got angry and he got violent. But because Jesus intervened, that changed for, for Saul. See, he could have had a life in which the legacy he left was one of hatred and anger. But instead, he encounters the resurrected Jesus. And he builds his life and his identity and his purpose solely on Jesus and has now left behind arguably the greatest legacy in human history. See, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus changes what your life is built on 
And so it changes your legacy. It changes what your life is built on, and so it changes your legacy. And so let me ask you, what is your life built on? What is your purpose, your identity, who you are? What is that built on? Is it built on Jesus, or is it something else? You say, I don't know. I don't know. How, how would I tell if it's built on Jesus? Look at verse 22. It says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. I don't think it's talking about Saul going to the gym and bulking up, right? It's not him drinking protein shakes. No, it's Saul growing in strength in the Lord. It's Saul growing in Christ. See, that's, that's how you know if your life is, is built on Jesus. You're continuing to grow in him. You're continuing to get to know him better. You're continuing to seek to follow him more and more. You're continuing to say, gosh, I need his grace so much. You're learning to depend on him so much more. That's how you know your life's built on him. So I was talking with my friend Zach the other day. He's uh, the acting manager at Roaster's Coffee Cafe. And, uh, and, and we're talking, and he came up to me and he said, Pastor Gabe, because that's what he calls me in my office. And, uh, and he, he said, uh, so I've been thinking a lot about my life lately. And, uh, and I've, I've come to wrestle with this question. Uh, do I want to live a life of success or significance? It's 24, by the way, right? I don't know what questions you were asking at 24, but the boy's got a good future ahead of him, right? Uh, and, and I I'm like five years older than him. But, uh, and I said, well, well Zach, you know, what, what do you think you're going to do? And he said, well, I, I want to live a life of significance. And I said, I think that's a good move, man. And he said, but, but Pastor Gabe, like, I just don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm doing enough right now. I don't know if I'm, I'm doing enough to, to really be living a life of significance. And I said, well, Zach, let's, let's take a look. What are you doing? And I said, you're running roasters right now because the owner, Eric, his, his wife, Wendy, died a month ago and you knew the family would be in need and so you quit the job where you're making a lot of money to come run this coffee shop and work crazy hours and make peanuts. I'd say that's pretty significant. And then you volunteer your time every Sunday evening so that we can have Acts Antioch worship in this place and a new group of people can hear the gospel. I'd say that's pretty significant. And so I say, you know, Zach, like, if you're looking to do something significant, I'd say you're doing it right now. You, you probably won't stay here. It'll probably move on to something else, but, but you're doing it right now. See, friends, this is what happens. You you encounter the resurrected Jesus, things change for you. And they don't stop. You keep growing, you keep looking, you keep saying, where am I looking to live a life of significance for the sake of the gospel? Your life trajectory shifts from success to significance. And that way your legacy changes. Can I tell you there's no better way to live than like that? So let me close by saying this. If you've maybe stopped growing you maybe stopped following after Jesus deeper and deeper. Just take a few moments. We're going to have some time of, of silence after the message. Just repent of that. And say, God, I want to change that. He's still real. His grace is still for you. Say, Jesus, I still want to grow more and more in you. Please continue to work on my heart. Or if you're here and you've never encountered the resurrected Jesus, know that no one is beyond God's grace. That means you. And that he's here and you can speak to him. And you can receive him as Lord and Savior and your life will change. So let's go to him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you that, that you encountered Saul on the road and that you changed him so thoroughly that he spread the gospel throughout the world and he wrote down words that many of us know and, and hear and have changed our lives. Lord Jesus, teach us not to rest in our own strength and our own abilities, but to rest in you, to trust in your grace and let that transform us. May we continually grow in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.